Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Dialogue, the podcast for collaborative SEOs and digital marketers. In each and every episode, I'll be speaking with the best and brightest minds in SEO, digital marketing and beyond to find out how we can work more effectively, efficiently and productively with other teams, departments and clients. In this episode, I spoke with Arij Abuwali, who is the technical SEO manager at Zoopla, one of the UK's leading property sites. Over the course of our conversation, we covered topics such as why SEO recommendations are usually not the difficult part of working agency side. It's much more about getting them actioned and implemented that's the trouble there. Arij also shared the differences about working agency side and in-house and how to work effectively in both of these environments. Arij also shared with us the community that she set up, the Women in Tech SEO Meetup, which is really interesting and something which is growing rapidly. So we spoke about that a fair bit as well. And finally, Arija also shared her experiences of how she's improving her technical skills with the 100 Days of Code movement, which is something that I'm really keen to try and I hope a few of you are too. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to shout about it on social using the hashtag open underscore dialogue. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Sam underscore Marsden. You'll also be able to find a written recap of this podcast over on the Deepcrawl blog. You can head over to deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast. And there you'll be able to sign up to our mailing list and get notified when we release new episodes every other week. But before we get started, I would just like to let you know that this podcast has been made possible by my employer, Deepcrawl. If you are interested in improving the technical health and organic performance of the websites that you manage with an enterprise-level web crawler, then head on over to deepcrawl.com and have a look at how we can help. We've even got a two-week trial, so you can give us a whirl. But that's enough for the intro. Let's dive straight into this chat. Here's another episode of Open Dialogue with Arij Abuwali. Okay, hello and welcome Arij to Open Dialogue. How are you today? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank, thank you for joining me. Um, I really, Before we dive into today's episode, I'd really like to find out a bit about the Women in Tech SEO meetup that you've started. Um, it's, it sounds like a, a fantastic um, community. And yeah, I'd, I'd really like to, for you to tell us a bit about um, what the community is about and yeah, how, how we can help support it. Yeah, definitely. So I kicked off Women in Tech SEO this year in May. Um, I have to say that this is one of the things I'm most proud of doing this year, actually. Uh, I got to meet so many amazing women through it. Um, initially, it just started off as a Facebook group. Uh, right now, we have reached almost 600 members on it. It's wow. really women who have any form of interest in tech SEO, whether they're still starting off or very experienced from all around the world. Um, I then thought, well, wouldn't it be really nice if we could actually all sit down in a room, discuss tech SEO and kind of meet one another? And that's when I kicked off the London meetups as well. Um, and with those, we basically have one meetup each month, um, a bunch of speakers and some attendees. They're all female. Um, and it really gives a chance for people who usually would not uh, feel very comfortable speaking in conferences to think of it as a nice, safe community to come up and do some talks on. Um, I think for me, the idea just came 
from the fact that uh, sometimes I feel that I'm not good enough for my job or sometimes I struggle to ask people certain questions. And I really wanted to create a community where it's okay to ask anything that you want without feeling that, um, you know, you might not be good enough. Um, and just to have kind of a safe community for everyone to be able to express themselves. Um, so yeah, it's going really well. I'm really excited. We literally have meetups planned from now till February, I think. Wow. And we've got most of the venues sorted as well, which is great. Um, I think for me, it's just kind of spreading the word, letting more people know about it, having more people join. Um, and just, yeah, I think for me, that would be um, the best way to kind of support it at this stage. Mm -hmm. And you say that you've got the, the venues ready. Are you sure that's a good idea, having the venues booked up until February? Because I've seen that the, the numbers are growing um, from, I think you had... Um, there was one earlier this week and yeah, yeah the, I think um, I saw a post that said that it doubled in attendance. So yeah, yeah. Where, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. where are you going to be by February? Yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> uh, right now it's kind of um, a lot of the women in the community host their offices and they're like, you know, you're more than welcome to come and have it in our office space, which is really, really generous and really kind. Um, I like the intimate setting type of feeling for it. Um, mm -hmm. The one that we had this week, we could have had up to 100, but we kept to 60. Nice. Um, I think it just gives, for a two-hour event, it gives a better feel and it's easier for people to get to know each other um, and just communicate with one another. Um, so generally speaking, I think it's nice to kind of keep the meetups down to 50-ish uh, or so. And since we're having them so frequently, once a month, so it gives a lot of people the chance to get to attend. Mm -hmm. um do you have any plans to expand out outside of London and kind of um, spread this community um, maybe across uh, the UK or further afield? Yeah, I think that's a, that's definitely a really, really good idea. It's not one that I've, I mean, I've had a few people speak to me about it. We are, um, every now and then we're going to go on random tours. Uh, we're going on tour this November. It's not very far. It's just to Reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, baby I steps. I wanted to do like a mashup. So, yeah. <laughs> so I think if every few months, maybe we can go and host one somewhere, that would be great. Um, but I do definitely feel I think I've, I was having a call with someone in Australia who wow. wanted to potentially um, launch like something like a chapter there. Mm -hmm. So I just need to have a good think around um, the logistics behind it and how to kind of make that work. <laughs> well, I, I hope it happens soon. And um, it sounds like a, an absolutely fantastic community. And um, yeah, so I'd like to to kind of start this kind of episode by looking at um just how you kind of got into seo um it, when i was doing my my research i was looking at so you've got quite a broad background in digital marketing um i was just wondering whether you could um kind of go into yeah how you came to become the um technical seo manager now at zoopla but you were at verve before um yeah 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 cool so i um, I did my degree in computer engineering. That was like quite a long time ago now. And that was back in my hometown in Egypt. Um, and then I moved to the UK around six years ago to study an MBA and it was an MBA in IT. Um, and that's when I kind of got exposed to the world of digital marketing. I didn't really know too much about it before then. Um, and during my MBA, I did like a bunch of internships here and there. Um, and I, I started reading about SEO and I felt it was this 
thing that kind of bridged the gap between computing and marketing. And I was like, I have a feeling this might be my thing. Um, <laughs> it's a lovely moment when job, that happens. Yeah, right. Because I wasn't really too sure, like initially what I wanted to get into. I was trying to discover, do I just want to go down the computing route and stick to that? Or do I want to delve more into something um, that is more business oriented? And this for me was just kind of like in between. Um, so the first role I got here in the UK was um, in an agency and I initially started as a content strategist, but that lasted mm -hmm. one month and right. they switched me to the tech SEO team right away. <laughs> Which, <laughs> they were like, the content strategy isn't, isn't for you. <laughs> yeah. And I've kind of been doing that since. I mean, it's been a bit over five years now. Um, I've, I've explored different aspects in SEO, but I just keep going back to tech SEO. Like that's the part that I really enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I've, I've mainly done agency side, uh, a, a bit over five years of that. And literally just last month, I started my first uh, ever in-house role. Right. Um, and that's with Zoopla, which is what I'm currently doing. Okay. And how have you found that sweet switch um, going over to Zoopla? making the move from agency to to in-house is it is life a lot easier because that's the 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 stereotype that yeah agency life is crazy and um it's all kind of kick back and relax in uh in in-house yeah i kind of feel like i'm learning seo all over again <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's how i felt over the past few weeks it's um it's quite intense really i think maybe it, maybe because of how massive of a site it is, and it's not something that I've had to deal with at this scale before ever, mm -hmm. um, that I'm coming to realize how it's it's not as easy or straightforward to just analyze data, you know, by looking at a bunch of um, tools. It's actually way uh, trickier and deeper than that. So there's a lot of new things I'm learning and picking up on, mm -hmm. which is great. In terms of um, like how stressful or crazy it might be, uh, in-house seems way more organized, probably because of like the split between the teams and how everyone yeah. has specific job functions and so on. Whereas agency side is kind of like you you have to do everything, um, and there are all these crazy deadlines. Mm -hmm. um, so so far, this is the feeling I'm getting. But maybe my answer might be different, like a few months down the line. <laughs> then maybe they're they're easing you into it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd be really keen to to hear about your experiences, maybe um, at Verve Search, if you wouldn't mind um, speaking about. Mm -hmm. um, I I was looking at your um, Brighton and Mozcon decks um, not too long ago. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't attend either of those talks, but I remember um, at Brighton, was it a couple of Brightons ago now? Was it back in it was, this time? Yeah, it was just this April. Yeah. Oh, was it was it the, this April's one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I wasn't able to attend it unfortunately, but um every everyone was talking about it and I I remember I've looked at the slides and um yeah, first off, I I think you had over 200 slides which I yeah. think is very <laughs> impressive. You must have been going uh, at warp speed for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but what really stood out to me there was um in that talk was that uh you found all of these issues on um, your client site, which I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a, a job, it was a job yeah. listing site. Um, yeah. But you found the the problem was with um, not with the actual finding of the issues, but actually the implementation. So um, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a bit about your experiences there, and um, yeah. yeah, the kind of challenges that you encountered. 
Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that was, I think it took me maybe six months to put that talk together. <laughs> I got my acceptance in September and I presented in April and I mm -hmm. literally started working on it in September and finished it wow. in March. So that was that was quite a long, long, long way to go. But I, I am very, very proud of this talk. Um, and it resonated with a lot of people. And the funny thing with this talk is when I initially started working on it, that client was still a client. Right. And I had high hopes that things would turn around. Yeah. Um, and that by the time I do my talk, I'll be showing all these amazing results uh, on how we've done all these crazy things and they've done them and look at them now, the ranking in page one. Um, and actually that was not the case. The client left us the week before my Brighton talk. <laughs> really? Oh, well. So that was, so, so I you... kind of had to, yeah, my ending was not a happy ending anymore. Right. So you had to and frantically I... update it to, to reflect yeah. the reality of the situation. Um. Yeah. And funny enough, like, I think that's actually what, what winded up working and making that a successful talk, because I just honestly said that it wasn't a happy ending and that things actually didn't work out. But here are all my learnings and here's what I would do differently. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, yeah, specifically with that client, there's so much I learned. So they were quite a small client. And by saying that, I mean, we weren't working with anyone in their marketing or their SEO team. I was literally working with their CEO, their COO and their CTO. Like mm -hmm. those three were my points of contact. Right. Okay. Um, and that was a very, very, very different experience from anything I was used to because um, my usual uh, like role at the agency would be I'd be dealing with the marketing team or I'd be dealing with their in-house SEO. And so we were more or less on the same wavelength. But mm -hmm. with these guys, it was very, very different. And uh, yeah, I think I summed it up really well in the talk when I said that I just I realized what the problem was quite late and that it was technical problems are people problems. And so it didn't really matter at the end of the day, the amount of technical issues that they had on the site or what needed to be changing. What really mattered is that you need to make sure that you gain their trust and you make, need to make sure that you communicate things right. And you need to make sure that you just get on, get off the right foot from the start, because if that doesn't happen and the relationship just drags on, then they're going to slowly lose their trust in you. And they're not really going to go ahead and implement all of this 100 page audits that you're sending through. <laughs> Yeah, so that that was, I would say it was one of the most difficult clients I've ever had to work with, but definitely the one where I learned the most. Yeah. That, um, um, so did you have to change your tact at all when, when speaking with a, a different kind of stakeholder with the, the kind of C-suite rather than marketers? Yeah, completely. Like it was, it was just on a completely different page at that point because there is no, with these guys, as you said, they were a job aggregator site. Their main issue was they were so focused on how do we rank on page one? How do we rank for this? Oh, should we start creating blog posts on those when actually Google was barely indexing any of their page? Like all their important pages weren't even being indexed. It was really difficult of a site for it to be crawlable. They had millions and millions and millions of pages, and there were absolutely no rules set in place to direct robot crawl. So the basics of the basics were missing. And so to try to explain that to, as you said, people mm -hmm. on C-level, you just, you really need to communicate things in a much more different way. Um, and even to just show them the, like the business results out of it and to just speak to them at their level. Whereas I feel like I spent so many meetings sat there 
explaining to them like robot crawl and how the process works <laughs> and what an O index is. And it was it was just way above them. And I would say also specifically with CTOs, what was really tricky, and I didn't realize this at the start, but I was always thinking, why is he getting really defensive? Because at yeah. the end of the day, I mean, this site was his. He built it from scratch. A lot of yeah. it was his own custom code. Um, and I guess if I was in his place, I would probably get really defensive <laughs> as well, because who is this random tech SEO who's is coming it... in and telling me it's my fault that Google isn't ranking me? Uh, I, I suppose it's like someone coming in insulting your child. It's just like, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, people are going to take it yeah. very personally. <laughs> I, th I think I even specifically used that sentence in my slides where I said, you know, this site was his baby and I was attacking right. his baby because in a way that is what I was doing the whole time. Um, and then I think for them, it was also this idea of uh, here's this agency that we're spending a 12 month retainer on. Here mm -hmm. we are eight months in and we have yet to see any results. And they are so focused on the numbers, which again, mm -hmm. completely makes sense. But at the same time, from our end, we are just so focused on, well, you haven't implemented this and you haven't done this. And it kind of reached a point where it was a he said, she said type of situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I do feel it's because it took me a very, very long time to understand what the core issue is. And it's this idea that uh, I hadn't communicated things right from the start. I hadn't explained to them what was at stake and if these specific things were going to be implemented. And I think the other thing is, specifically with that client, I went ahead in my usual ways of, let me come up with a very, very comprehensive audit and give it yeah. to them and tell them all the things they, that they need to change. But with these guys, that shouldn't have been the situation from the start mm -hmm. because they had one major core like core problem and that's the one that they needed to focus on and from day one i should have just given them that one problem that they need to fix as opposed to going ahead and giving them 50 or 60 recommendations for them to get distracted by yeah that, that sounds like a a decent learning in in retrospect and i i don't know how honest you can be maybe slightly more honest now that you've you've left but in would you would you say that that was a, a kind of bad client to take on or um is it just a matter of like setting expectations correctly from the start and trying to um speak on the same wavelength as um as your point of contact there what yeah what would yeah you, so how would you at one on point that? i i was like i think halfway through the relationship i was thinking that was a really bad client to take on. I don't mm. think we should have taken them. I remember day one after meeting them thinking, I really hope we don't win this client because I have no idea what to even do with the site. <laughs> but I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that I wasn't experienced enough and I'm happy to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. I had never like dealt with a website at this scale, a listings type of directory form of website. I had never dealt with anything like this. And so I felt very, very overwhelmed. I feel that right now, mm -hmm. like, I would be more than comfortable taking on a client like this because I am just more aware of how to deal with issues at this scale and what kind of problems there might be. But at this stage, I was probably in my mind, I was too busy thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. it was kind of distracting me from actually trying to come up with valid solutions and communicating them well. Yeah, that that was another um, really interesting part of your presentation. And uh, I don't think there are enough people that... Uh, as brutally honest as you you have been in in this talk and um in talking about like imposter syndrome and um yeah i wonder if you wouldn't mind kind of talking a bit about that um yeah yeah 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Rachel Costello from Deep Call, I think she's brilliant. Um, and she just posted uh, that article, which I have so much respect for, um, around imposter syndrome and dealing with that. Uh, and even yeah, so when insightful. she um, did the meetup this month for women in tech SEO, mm -hmm. she brought it up again. And I just have so much respect for that. Yeah. Um, and for me, I've, I, I did overthink it before adding it to my slides back in Brighton in April. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, you know what? No, I think this is something worth talking about because... The amount of people who resonate and relate with that, um, but choose not to talk about it is crazy. Yeah. And I do think this is something a lot of us should talk about. I feel like this is something, especially in this industry, where we always have this in-between feeling. Yeah. We're not developers, yet at the same time, we are trying so hard to be as close of a developer as we can be. And so I feel that this always makes us feel slightly um, like overwhelmed and that we're not quite sure what it is that we're doing. I think a lot of it does come as well to the whole idea of dealing with sea levels. That was that was a first for me. Uh, and I was sat there a lot of the time feeling like my answers are not good enough. I would reread emails up to 20, 30 times <laughs> before sending them across. And I would dread when I get a reply back because I wouldn't want to know what it says. We had uh, me and that CTO, there were threads of 30 to 50 emails where we were arguing why fixing this would solve the indexing issues and why doing this wouldn't. And then I would get just random articles from Search Engine Journal back in 2016 being sent back <laughs> that would contradict <laughs> the advice that I was trying to give. And just a lot of that would, it, it would really kill my confidence. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of times where I would just go home and cry and think that maybe I'm not good enough to be doing what I'm doing and that I should probably think of doing something different. And to be really honest with you, this was one of the main reasons I did start Women in Tech SEO because... At, at some point or another, especially towards the start of this year, I was really starting to lose my motivation and I was starting to think, do I even want to continue doing tech SEO or should I do something completely differently? But honestly, doing like my talks, speaking in Brighton and speaking in MozCon and starting this community has just completely shifted my thinking, like getting to talk to people now and having a network and having a community support has made me realize, actually, you know what? I do really enjoy tech SEO. I am not too bad at it <laughs> and I can probably get better. Yeah, that that's so great to hear and um that that's definitely something that I can relate to as well. Um I I think I don't know if it's been the same for you since you've started speaking, but I was kind of thrown into to speaking at various conferences quite early on and yeah. your people kind of expect you to be an expert and kind of yeah. know everything and it's it takes quite a lot of courage to actually just say look I don't know and have enough kind of faith in your ability to know that it's not because you're not good enough or many um, of the, the the kind of issues that you were talking about but um it's just yeah it's really really difficult to <laughs> to have an in-depth knowledge on um such a, a broad variety of things so um yeah I can't remember. I've kind of lost my train of thought there, but yeah, um, it, took me, it, it took me really, really long to finally decide to like pitch for a talk. Um, what really inspired me was uh, last year, October, I attended Search Love. Um, I think I met you there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was the first time, maybe the yeah. first and only time that we've met. Yeah, yeah I remember I so furiously typing away um trying yeah, to write up, up uh, all of the talks, talks there and yeah, yeah. looked over yeah. And, and saw you there. 
<laughs> so I got like I I've been thinking of like pitching to speak at Brighton since the very first time I attended it like years ago. Yeah. Um, and the community speaker slot in Search Love is what really really inspired me. Like yeah, those were three of the best talks. Like I was just so blown away by how amazing they were. And I went home that day and I was like, that's it. I'm gonna pitch for Brighton. I'm gonna do this. And literally the week after I'd done my pitch form and I'd sent it to Brighton. Um, and it, 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 as you said, like, it's just completely different. I feel like it is a lot of pressure and it is really, really stressful. Um, but once you do it and you realize that, you know what, this is something I could do. A lot of people learned something from it. Mm -hmm. It just puts things at a completely different scale. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always um, really enjoyed just kind of sharing what I'm interested in and what I've been working on. And um, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know everything, but um yeah it's it, I'd, I'd really recommend yeah throwing yourself into to speaking yeah. and um i'm sure um women in tech seo would be a great way to do that have you had many kind of completely new speakers um yeah 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 we have time? and i've like i've tried my best to encourage new speakers as well um like something amazing that happened for example is i think it was the um, august the August uh, meetup, mm -hmm. we had Serena Pearson, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant tech SEOer. She did a talk um, on site migrations, and it was literally one of the most detailed talks I've ever seen on site migrations. It was so good. Really? And I tweeted, I tweeted it out the next day, I think, and I just tagged Brighton SEO. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you guys, if you're looking for a tech SEO, she's your girl. She's done this amazing talk on site migrations in our meetup last night. And Kelvin replies right away and he's like, we actually just had a slot open for September. Right. Serena, would you be open to, you know, coming in and doing the talk? And now yeah. she's going to speak like this September at Brighton SEO and she's wow. going to do the talk that she did for us in August. So okay. that's amazing. Yeah, that that is so good. Um, I'm only slightly disappointed that this episode will go out after Brighton, but yeah. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The, well, she, she, she'll be really famous by then, probably, yeah, and everyone's going to be like, "Oh, but, yeah, that talk was one of the best we've ever attended." <laughs> uh, it's so great that um, this community has been able to give people a, a platform to um, that probably wouldn't have otherwise gotten that because um, you see so many of the the same faces at um, various digital conferences, and I, I, yeah, it's always great to see see new people um, popping up. So yeah, that's really great. Um, I would like to move on now to a section talking about your success and horror stories within SEO. Yeah. You, I will give you the, the luxury of, of picking which you'd like to go for first. So we, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we could brand this like SEO heaven or SEO hell or something, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> whichever yeah. you'd like, like some disaster stories, some success stories, I'd love to hear either. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, my, my, my main horror story was definitely that drawback related client. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's ever going to get any worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> the way I was feeling during that year was just beyond me. Yeah. Um, but random horror things that happened before, like one of our big clients in the health industry, um, their dev agency just blocked their whole site on the robots.txt oh, file and no one noticed. I have no idea how that <laughs> happened until this day. <laughs> 
Um, It's just beyond me. And the fact that I would just randomly at 5 p.m. on a Friday was Mm. trying to crawl their site, something I would normally never, ever do. And I just randomly stumbled upon it. And I realized what had happened. And I called my main contact in that company right away. And I was like, this is the case. Your whole site is blocked. It's Friday at 5 p.m. (laughs) This is massive. This has to be undone. And then... The dev agency, so this guy puts me in touch with the dev agency. The dev agency change it in the background, okay. reply back, and claim that I was imagining things. Uh, that, so I have to go back despicable. on Wayback Machine and try to find a screenshot just to prove <laughs> that I wasn't imagining things. Oh. <laughs> and I managed to find one, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but that kind of ruined the relationship between me and the dev agency a bit. Um, And I didn't manage to get my way with other things moving forward. But that was crazy. And I cannot believe that something like that can possibly happen. And the crazy bit is a few months later, they do the same mistake again during a CMS migration. And it was the same dev agency. Right. (laughs) Right. They they sound like um, an untrustworthy bunch over there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, it was a bit it was a bit crazy. But speaking of like good happy stories though, that same client, one of my absolute favorites, and I think the main reason was with we had a full retainer with them. We were doing everything from tech to content to support to outreach. It was just the whole package. And usually that's not how we work or how we worked at Verve. Um usually we would have clients that were purely tech or clients that were purely outreach. And it was very rare that we would have clients that would just be fully comprehensive. And it made such a difference because you just feel much more in control. Mm -hmm. You know everything that is happening in every single angle and in every single perspective. And they trust you and you start feeling like you're an extension of the company um, and you get involved in all the decisions and everything that's happening. We were literally working with them across their sprint system. So every two weeks, we would provide implementation support based on what what tickets have they done. We had access to their Jira. We knew exactly what was going on. Um, so I think as a win, I felt like that was the best relationship because it was it was as if we were their SEO team in a way, mm-hmm. um, and we were just involved throughout. And generally with agencies, I would say oh, that's just what works best when you're only in control for something specific, for example, if you're just doing creative campaigns and outreach, but you have no idea what's happening on the tech side, then there's only so much you can control because if they go ahead and mess up a migration, for example, it doesn't matter how much coverage you get for them. It's all, none of it is going to count. And were there anything, particular things that allowed that kind of um, environment to to happen where you're you're quite embedded in, in their organization? Yeah, I just feel like it's something that if you start off the relationship right, like with them from the beginning, we agreed a 12-month relationship. We, we we showed them the importance of us getting involved and helping them with all their content strategy, with the tech, and of course with outreach and creative campaigns, which that was the main reason they had come to us in the first place. But the fact that we managed to integrate all the other stuff as well, and I feel then over time, because it was just that, it just the relationship was so much better we knew every like different we knew even the junior content writers were people that we were in touch with we we provided them with training seo training so it was just everything was kind of in a way 
they would always think, oh, let's get in touch with them. You know, they're going to we need to make sure that they're on board with this. We need them to speak to this new team member who just joined, who's going to be involved with I don't know what. I even knew their PPC, their in-house PPC guys. And we would like share data across with each other. So it just makes such a big difference when you have that kind of relationship. Well, that that sounds like a, a real ideal scenario there. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely one of majority. There were so many clients that we had who were purely outreach Um and uh, like as the tech SEO team, we would we wouldn't really be able to, um, you know, get get that involved or, or get under the skin of the sites and see what was happening. And so if something went wrong, then it felt it was a bit too late because it wasn't something that we were involved with in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Cool. OK. And um, just moving things on, is there any advice that you'd give to SEO SEOs or marketers um, to help them work better I guess particularly with developers because that's probably a big crossover that you've you've kind of had um, in your career. Um, is there yeah, anything yeah. you'd recommend there? Yeah, I mean, I would say one of the main reasons I wanted to move in-house was this idea of getting really close with the product and tech team. Um, it was it was such a struggle for me from an agency point of view. Um, I didn't know who the devs who were going to wind up sitting there and working on the stuff that I was recommending and it makes whereas now I've only been in-house for a few weeks now and I've already met the majority of the product and tech teams that take our implementations and recommend them and it makes such a difference to be involved in some of these product meetings where you are literally saying what the priority and what isn't the priority and what should be added in this sprint and what should happen in the next sprint it makes such a massive difference to have this involvement so in-house I would say is much easier to be able to build that relationship because these are people you can literally have coffee with any time mm-hmm. of the day. They sit right next to you. Yeah. Agency side, I would say just to make it make it known that it is really important for you to form these relationships. So don't just go for a meeting to meet the CMO and leave it at that. Specifically ask for a meeting with the dev team and the product team. Understand what other things they have going on. I think this is something that I especially realized when I started in-house was that wow, the amount of stuff that the product team and the tech team have to work with and have to prioritize that we as like as their SEO agency have absolutely no exposure to. Of course, they're not going to sit and sift through a 70 or an 80 page audit. They don't have the time to do that. <laughs> they have got so much stuff on that it's ridiculous that I used to expect I'm going to send an 80 page document and I expect this to be implemented by the end of the month. Of course, that's not the case. (laughs) So you have to make sure you communicate it right. And I think that's, again, in line with what I shared in my talk was this idea of give them one thing at a time and make sure you prioritize it. And don't bother with, the oh, this is nice to have. This is hygiene. This is best practice. Don't bother with any of that because it doesn't really matter. Leave that till the very end when everything is great and perfect. And then at least they will have things that they can work with. And don't give them 70-page audits where you're just going on and blabbering about SEO theory, problem and effect. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. They're not going to read it. They don't have time to read it. You have to tell them exactly what they need to do and just the end result, the end numbers. Expect by doing this, this is what's going to happen to your leads or your conversions. And that's going to be enough for them to make a business case to prioritize it and sit and work on it. That's that's definitely something that we've seen um, at Deepcrawl. We work with um, some quite large enterprise sites, and um, yeah. within our our audits, there we tend to um, provide like we have 
these these huge audits like similar to to what you were talking about with um but we we make sure to to break things down and provide like different levels of prioritization and yeah. um these like very kind of uh, concise executive overviews for for each of our various um sections of the audit so um it yeah. just makes like breaks it down and makes it kind of super simple and um easy to digest so yeah you're not um you're not losing people in uh, a massive a massive detail um yeah so I, I think that's really good advice um cool um something else i'd like to speak to you about is if i remember correctly you were working on 100 days of code i think that's what the yeah. twitter hashtag is called um yeah, yeah, yeah could you tell us a bit about your experiences with that because um it's something that i've been looking to to try but it sounds like a, a big commitment like a, at the moment i'm trying to learn another language i'm trying to learn portuguese so yeah. trying to learn a programming language at the same time it's like i don't know whether i could commit to doing that every day but yeah i want, I want to start learning python um maybe a bit of javascript in the future um so yeah, yeah i'd be keen to to hear your experiences of that yeah so a hundred days challenge is like one of just the coolest movements campaigns i've ever come across so the guy who actually created it um, he now has 100 days of x.com. You correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong afterwards. But basically, he can do it for any different challenge that you have in mind. Oh, so okay. some people do 100 days of code. Some people do 100 days of yoga. Some do 100 days of, it could be like learning a language or exercise or so on. Um, but he his first initiation to it was the idea of 100 days of code. And then right. from that, he expanded on the idea. Um, he's written such an amazing Medium post about it explaining his process and why he started it, the amount mm -hmm. of followers that he got out of it yeah. and the amount of people who winded up changing their jobs completely and becoming developers just because they wow. took on the 100 days of code challenge from the beginning is amazing. There's a really supportive community. They have a Slack channel and they have the whole idea of the hashtag is that then you wind up being in different lists and you get refollowed by different people who are also doing the challenge and you get to meet a lot of people through it. I would say what's really, really tricky about 100 days of code, or at least what could make it less challenging and less daunting, is to have a plan from the start. What mm -hmm. is it that you want to learn? What are your resources? What are you planning to tackle? Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you spend one hour a day doing it. I found it really easy to do it by scheduling a specific hour. So I like to wake up really early, for example. So I used to have my 6 to 7 a.m. slot specifically for 100 days of code. And I had it from the beginning. I knew exactly what resources I'm going to tackle. I was also trying to learn Python back then um, and what exactly I'm going to be doing every day. The other thing I would say I was personally missing when I tried to do the challenge is that I didn't have something specific I wanted to build, which started making it feel a bit aimless mm -hmm. 30 or 40 days down the line. Just yeah. by simply having a bunch of resources like Code Academy, um, Treehouse, things like that, they're really good. But after a few days or weeks, you start feeling, okay, what then? I'm doing a lot of theory. I'm doing all these mini projects, but what then? So think of things that you actually want to build that might help you in your day-to-day -day job, because then it's going to make it way more practical and way more exciting. You're going to feel like you're working on an actual project. I mean, I know people who've, it might sound really simple, but still really cool. Like 
built um, custom-based CTR curves that can be extracted from Search Console using things like R or using things like Python. Now, that's a really nice. cool project to work on. And if you're using your 100 days of code to build certain mini tools like that, then I feel like that's probably going to make you much more motivated. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're getting up at six in the morning. Like that, that's yeah. gonna be, <laughs> you, need, you need something very kind of concrete that you're working on. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's completely like some people like to switch up the hours. I I work really well under schedule. So for me, it just made sense to stick it at the same time. Some people might want to use it in their lunch break or have it in their evening. You know, there's there's no specific rule. But there are so many. If you want to get really motivated, I know that there's so many medium posts that have been written by people who have done their 100 days of code challenge Mm -hmm. and they share exactly what resources they've done, what projects they've worked on. And there's so many like success stories as well about, there are people who have done several rounds of 100 days of code in a row, which for me, that just (laughs) amazes me. That's quite an achievement. Yeah. I think when I come to do it, I'll try to do it in the morning, but it's it's difficult because I, I see myself as, I'm I'm a really good morning person, but only when I can actually get up like early because yeah, yeah I <laughs> I'm super productive when I do actually manage to to wake up at a, an early hour. But yeah, it's it's a struggle. Um, yeah. But would you mind just uh, repeating what was the the name of the author of that the the star the founder of that movement? Just so that yeah, can find I, it. his name is Alexander Kellowy, but I mm-hmm. really hope I'm I'm saying it and I'm pronouncing it okay. correctly. Well, we'll make sure to to put it link to it in the show notes. Um, yeah. and if there are people out there looking to start 100 Days of Code, um, maybe SEOs looking to become um, a bit more technical so that they can better communicate with developers. Is there a particular language that you'd recommend starting with? Um, so that they can do that. Yeah, so people have very, very different views on this. Personally, I've I've always felt like Python is a really good one. I feel like the more you, the more as an SEO, you start behaving as a data analyst or a data scientist, the better you will become at your job. Because at the end of the day, what we do is we analyze so much data. <laughs> so the smarter and the better and the faster we can do that, you know, the, the more efficient we're going to be in our jobs. So I'm personally behind Python. Um, I've just started working with a colleague who is really good with R. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, that's a language for data analysts and data scientists. So that can be one. Um, I've also started getting really into SQL because I realized the importance of like analyzing stuff via BigQuery when you're dealing with like large data sets. So that can be a third one. Mm -hmm. And then generally, JavaScript, of course, is one that DeepCrawl talks about all the time as well. So getting a better understanding behind that. And then maybe just general HTML and CSS to understand how the web works. Yeah, I've I've seen with um, Python. There's there's a growing popularity amongst SEOs, and there's some some really great people out there um, writing posts about it. Um, not least Hamlet Batista. He's yeah. he's posted a, a few really amazing things on this on this subject as well. So yeah, um, yeah, Hamlet's written it, some really great stuff, and he's also really approachable and really nice. And always offers to help if anyone has any questions. So yeah, definitely recommend reading his stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to meet him. At, he's coming over for Brighton SEO, which is um, next week for um, yep. at the time of recording. And yeah, I'm I, I met him briefly um, over in the states. So I'm yeah, 
but yeah i can't wait to to speak to him um have, have yeah. a good conversation with him this time around um is there any difference between uh python and r in terms like is one preferred over the other is one better for seos um just because python seems more more popular so i was just wondering whether there's a reason for that or is it just yeah people um, jumping on yeah the bandwagon? it's it's quite interesting as well. I mean, I've I've only started getting into R. I, I had done it quite a while back, maybe five or six years ago. And back then, Python wasn't really that popular. And R seemed to be your data analysis, data visualization type of language to mm -hmm. go for. Whereas now a lot of other people go for Python. <clears throat> I think maybe Python just has way more um, support libraries and it's just established much better. And its syntax doesn't feel very weird as well, mm -hmm. whereas R feels slightly different um, than normal. But yeah, I would say just to explore what works, what doesn't work, what makes you comfortable. There is no, I feel like, especially with 100 days of code, a few days where I would kind of feel like a little bit demotivated or things go a bit hard, then I just go for something a bit easy. I start playing around, for example, with HTML or SQL or so on, just to kind of free my mind. And that's the thing you don't really, there, it doesn't have to be strict. It's You are learning in any case, you're spending one hour of your day learning something new. Um, so don't, don't feel the need to kind of, don't be hard on yourself. I would say that's the number one rule. Mm -hmm. And if you skip a day, so what? You know, you've got you've got the next day. It doesn't mean that you have to start from scratch again. Um, so just don't be hard on yourself, and just know that you're learning something new. Yeah, I I think hundred days. It, it's very similar to um, a book that I was reading. I can't remember which one though, but it's a a kind of like uh, motivational book, and it was saying that it takes about 90 days to form yeah. a habit. So, I think the power of habit, I oh, think maybe, that's the one you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it will be that one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, have you found like after those 100 days that you've kind of carried on with it or has it has it created a habit after 100 days? No, it's... No. it's uh, <laughs> I'll like... be really honest, I've never managed <laughs> thank, to finish my 100 thank days. Thank God this is over. <laughs> <laughs> I have never finished. I have never managed to finish my 100 days, which right. makes me really, really sad. But I really hope that someday I do. Um, I think I've reached 40 something is the best. That's, I couldn't even really go halfway. Yeah. I, I'd be really pleased yeah. with that if I could do, if I could do that um, for any length of time. Yeah, I'd be very impressed with myself. Um, okay. Um, so the next section. Um, just kind of moving on to to wrap things up i'd like to move on to some shameless plugs and there are two parts to this so the first mm -hmm. is um looking at a product a service or um something that makes your working life easier that you'd like to share with our listeners um something that you couldn't live without that you'd like to to shout about is there anything that you could recommend like that yeah. So for me, what really, really, really works for me. So this isn't a specific service. There's so many different things um, that does it. Uh, the Pomodoro technique, uh, yeah. that is such a lifesaver for me. It is something that I've been using since I've had to like write out my thesis back in my bachelor degree. The, if anyone's not familiar with it, the Pomodoro technique is basically this idea of timing yourself. 25 minutes of purely focusing on one task, just one task. And then you get five minutes of doing absolutely anything you wish. And then you start the cycle again. 
So what I tend to do, so I personally use something called Focus Booster. That's um, It's just a tool online. And you basically just have it in the background while you're working on something. You, you, you start it. You've got your 25 minutes. You're focused on this one task. Let's say you're working on an audit or an opportunity analysis or whatever it is. 25 minutes of doing absolutely nothing else except that one task. You can't browse the internet. You can't look at your phone. You can't do anything. And then... That timer finishes, you've got five minutes, you can do anything you wish to. The amount of productivity that comes out of me when I use that technique is crazy. I cannot believe how the human mind can operate this way, but I highly, highly, highly recommend it, especially for procrastinators like me. It, it is the best tool out there. Yeah, uh, that's something that I I really struggle with. I, I, I find that my my attention just switches between loads of different things like notifications going off and um, people yeah. coming in and asking me for, for various things. So um, that, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be looking that up. So when when you go through these these 25 minute periods, are you um, just switching off everything like putting your phone on silent and kind of, yes. yeah, not looking at Twitter. Yeah, and you, and, can't, you can't have any browsers yeah. randomly open. Usually it works for me if I'm plugged in with music as well, because then I know that I'm not going to randomly start chatting with someone. And I yeah. tend to focus better with music. Mm -hmm. um, but I know what task I'm going to work on and what it is specifically. And I just focus on that for 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And they fly by so quickly. Once yeah. the first instance goes, it becomes so normal. And then your five minutes feel like your reward. That's when I hold my phone. That's when I browse a bunch of stuff. That's when I do this. And then I'm back again at it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and the big question here is, what music are you listening to during these 25 minutes? Ah, so I'm I'm very I'm very much into grunge rock. That's always been my oh, right. genre. Okay. Um, I feel like my future kids are gonna make so much fun of me because <laughs> I've always listened to stuff from the eighties and the early nineties. Right. I love so we talk in Nirvana or Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Like Foo Fighters and Soundgarden. They're nice. they're like my top two. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you see, I, I always find that I have to find uh, a genre of music which is like the perfect balance between something that's not taking up too much of my attention but is also enjoyable. So, yeah, I yeah. I find um, there are some playlists on Spotify. It's like Concentration Maximum or something like that. Yeah. I always find those really useful, but yeah. No, You're... I always listen to stuff that I've listened to a million times before. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like my, my daily mixes on Spotify are just the same over and over again yeah. like i refuse to listen <laughs> to anything new i feel like it's such an energy for me to decide to listen to something new it's the yeah. same stuff i've been listening to since high school which is so sad <laughs> but makes me really happy <laughs> yeah there's a whole world of music out there Arish. <laughs> Yeah, I trust me. I've get. I'm always. I feel like such a grandma with music. Yeah. I'm always like, who? I have never <laughs> heard about this person or this band ever before. Yeah, but but that's the thing. You just want it to become like white noise, which is like aiding your work yeah. rather than capturing your attention all the time. So yeah, I, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and your the second part of this is um, you can shamelessly promote anything that you want, whether it be yourself. Um, like we've spoken a lot about your meetup, but yeah, is there anything that you'd like to to promote or let people know about? 
Yeah, I think I'm just going to uh, like I'm more than happy to um, shamelessly promote my meetup again. So yeah. I have built a site for it, which I'm so proud of because it was my first site to build for using Gatsby. Um, mm -hmm. It is womenintechseo.com. Um, and it's a really, really simple site, but I'm so proud of it. It feels like my baby. Yeah. Um, I had, and I had so a look at it the like other week openings. and I, I was like, this is yeah. this is a very slick website. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's a good user <laughs> that, experience there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's got like all the links that anyone needs to for like our Twitter account, our meetup, our Facebook, our Instagram. Uh, I have even learned how to use Instagram stories for women in tech SEO. That is something I never used to use before. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, please do visit our website and please just uh, spread the word as much as you can. The more amazing women we have in our community, um, the better and the stronger the community will be. Amazing. And um, where can people find you out in the, the digital world? Um, Watching TV on my sofa, probably. <laughs> I meant, I meant more, um, more your Twitter handle, but yeah, um, yeah. If you're inviting people around your house as well, then. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really, really active on Twitter. I am too active. I think I need to limit my hours. It's a bit scary, yeah. um, but it is at Arij underscore Abali, um, and I'm really active on LinkedIn as well. Um, so just look me up. My name is not very common, so you will probably find me there as well. Okay, brilliant. Thanks so much, Arisia. It's been um, very entertaining, very informative. Um, I've learned a ton and yeah, I'm sure other people will do too. So thank you very much for, for sparing your time with us. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I really appreciate that. And I had a really good time as well. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you so much to Arish for joining us for what was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for listening as well, and I hope there were a load of actionable takeaways that you got from that. I'd also like to say thank you to BMO Studios, who are based in the heart of East London in Hackney. Um, they've got a great recording studio here that I'd thoroughly recommend. If you want to hear more from Arij, you can find her on Twitter at Arij underscore Abu Ali. Also, if you'd like to hear more from me, I'm at Sam underscore Marsden on Twitter. If you'd like to share our fledgling podcast with the world, make sure to add the hashtag open underscore dialogue. You'll also be able to find a written recap of this podcast over on the Deepcrawl blog by visiting deepcrawl.com forward slash podcast. You can also sign up to our mailing list and get notified when we release new episodes on a bi-weekly basis. Also, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Open Dialogue on the podcasting platforms that you use, whether that be Google, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it is, we're there. Thank you again for listening to this show and I look forward to you joining us again for the next episode. Until the next time.